Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program. I'm supposed to be live with Dr. Sharia um, Chantel, and I think Craig is probably trying to get her. Are you, Craig? We are on Zoom, and I'm working from home, and he is trying to get her on the program. Uh, she's She is online. Can you just say I can see her, perhaps? I can't see her. Are you there, Taria? Yes, I am. Oh, there you are. Great. Hello. How are you? I wish I could see you. I'm very oh, well. Hang on. Craig will bring me on now. <laughs> we can we face to face. Taria, welcome. It's so good to see you. How is Israel? Well, on top of things and getting more on top of things. Um, and this is truly what I want to say to you today. So we, we will get into that, Sue. Okay, so let me introduce you first. Taria, first of all, was my very first trainer, on my, my only trainer, actually, on uh, uh, in logotherapy. I was in her first group. Since then, she has become a great mentor of mine and a really good friend as well. Taria is a, a, a trained clinical psychologist. She trained in South Africa, and then she studied psychoanalysis at the Tavistock Clinic in London. She trained personally under um, Dr. Viktor Frankl at his first logo clinic, logotherapy clinic in the United States. She has won many, many international awards and local South African awards. She now resides in Israel. She is an author and she's just brought out a, a new book, The Life-Changing Impact of Viktor Frankl's Logotherapy. It's a, it's a real privilege to have uh, uh, Taria on my program. She is the president of the Victor Frankl Institute for Logotherapy in South Africa and was vice president of the Victor Frankl Association for Logotherapy in Israel. We will be giving out the logotherapy um, details later. And um, Taria, you have gone off the screen again, but I know you're there. And... Uh, I would like to find out from you. I know that you've just come back from Vienna. Tell us why. There was the opening of the Viktor Frankl Museum in Vienna, and an invitation was sent out to logotherapists all over the world to make a donation towards the museum. And I did that on behalf of the Viktor Frankl Institute in South Africa and was consequently invited to attend such a gathering of donors at the museum. Mm. My decision to go was actually motivated by my desire to meet Ellie Frankel face to face. Ellie Frankel's wife. Yes, she is 97 years old already and time is, is passing by. I've tried on many occasions to, to go and visit her, but COVID came in the way. 
And this was my reason. David Goodman, he, professor in sociology, a retired uh, in here in Israel, was one of the very close and intimate friends of the Frankels. In fact, he brought Viktor Frankl for his second bar mitzvah to the war. Which oh, is that so? Wow. Which wow. had a great impact on both Frankl and Ellie. And, but he said to me that Ellie has had a lifelong sadness about not being Jewish. And that he thought that I, who converted to Judaism, might be able to encourage her and, you know, give her some meaning about the fact that she's not Jewish and yet married to such a famous Jew, uh, which I did. And she loved the letter. And you asked whether I know Franz Vesely. He's her son-in-law. And I know Franz as an intermediate between me and Ellie because he, on her behalf, phoned me and put her on the phone. And this was one of the great moments in my life because why? She kept on saying, it's so from the heart. It's so from the heart. And, uh, and, but then she went on to say this. If Victor was alive, he would be very pleased with this book. Um, that to me meant the world. Having so studied she was talking about your new book. About my new book. Oh, yes. wow. How yes. wonderful yes. to get that acknowledgement from her. Mm. Absolutely. And we corresponded. And as I said, I didn't have the opportunity to really visit her, which was such a strong desire on my part. But when this invitation came to attend as a donor, the Victor Frankl Museum in Vienna, I grabbed the chance and asked Franz Vesely to arrange a visit to her, which then happened. Tell me about that visit. Well, it was very unique in very many ways. The sadness of it was that Ellie didn't recognize me. She tried very hard. She kept on asking almost 10 times, who are you? Where were you born? You know, she was trying to place me, but mm. she couldn't. But nonetheless, we had such a warm, uh, intimate face-to-face -face meeting as two fellow human beings. And my prime um, uh, motivation was to thank her for what she meant to Viktor Frankl. In fact, I had a letter of um, Pan Paniotta Ryle, our secretarial administrator of the Institute, that asked me to write, uh, to give this little letter to her. And I read it to her, where Pan just expressed her appreciation for Ellie, for giving us the man that she gave us that had such a profound and life life transformative influence on her and all who really grasped the, the, the principles of his work. Mm -hmm. um, I think that really, that touched her deeply. It really did. And, you know, she was keen then to take me through the apartment, the same apartment that Viktor Frankl bought when he was released from the, the, the camps and in which they had lived 
all their lives long. So it was a very special place. And you know, Teria, sorry, just yeah. to go back to that, the way they were living, I, I heard a, a tape of, of uh, Ellie Frankel where she said that Victor had taken her to this apartment. There, were no, there was no furniture. They sat on the floor. There were about 18 other people sitting mm -hmm. around there. Obviously, all lived there as well. Perhaps they were all refugees from the camps. I don't know. But she said they were incredibly poor and everything had been stripped out of their apartment, their apartment anyway. So here you went back to a warm atmosphere, a warm apartment, and you could feel Victor Frankl there with Ellie. Gosh, thank you for sharing that with me. I was not aware of that piece of information because this makes it now all the more meaningful that she wanted to show me the inhabited area of their lives. Absolutely, and we'll get back to that shortly. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on High FM, and I'm back with Dr. Teria Chantal, and you can SMS us on 34519, or you can telegram us on 061-895-1019. We are talking about a meaningful life. And at the moment, we are talking about Ellie Frankel, who fits so perfectly into this meaningful life. And Teria has just come back from Austria and met um, Ellie Frankel. And she was telling us how she went, Ellie showed her around the apartment. Can we pick up there, please, Teria? Yes. It was so significant that the first place she took me into was his study. And there it was, the little single bed under the portrait of Tilly Gross, his first wife. Mm -hmm. uh, that love never died, and yet it didn't exclude Ellie. Um, there was Frankel's desk, and I remember a beautiful photograph that was taken of Frankel and Ellie where she was standing behind him, leaning over. And, you know, that was really the role in her life that he described himself. Can I read to you what he said about it in his autobiography? Yes, please. Yeah, because it summarized what Ellie actually meant to him. He wrote as follows. The sacrifices of Ellie may be even greater than my own, so that I might complete my life's work she has denied herself so much. She is the counterpart to me, both quantitatively and qualitatively. What I accomplished with my brain, she fulfills with her heart. Jacob Needleman once said, referring to the way in which Ellie has been my companion on our lecture tours, she is the warmth that accompanies the light. Isn't that beautiful? Absolutely. Because, you know, when Ellie spoke to me, she also said this more than once, that it wasn't easy. You know that Viktor Frankl attended more than 200 universities the world over. He paid 92 visits to, to the United States alone. And she said to me, we travel, and it's so difficult. You don't have a home. 
but she was there for him always. She typed all of these manuscripts. She did all of his administrative work. But apart from that, that was the help that he uh, referred to. She was that warmth. Mm-hmm. And she, was, she really gave him that motivation. He could have become burnt out and exhausted. I remember when I um, listened to him at the United States International University to which he had invited me um, to come and train in logotherapy, that before he goes into the lecture hall, Ellie would pour him a cup of black coffee out of a flask of black coffee (laughs) to to keep him going, you know. And it so struck me that she was just there in the smallest of ways to help him do what he felt he was called to do. Very much the warmth behind him, really, in that puffy story alone. And, you know, I I was listening to this tape of hers. She was being interviewed on radio with, um, with her grandson, Alex. And she also, she said that he wasn't an easy man to, to live with. You know, he was demanding of, of his time. He didn't like wasting time at all. And that she helped him write. Um, his his manuscripts and his books and kept saying to him, put it in easier language so people would understand. And he listened to her and thank goodness he did. You know, the other thing she spoke about was their daughter and how, and then the grandchildren. And she said, definitely, they, he's having a family of his own, helped him find a place in the world that he thought he had lost. And to become grounded back in this world, and that he was incredibly proud of his family. You know, that puts such a, a human face to him, doesn't it? And you know, that now what you say now strikes me so because the second room she took me into was Gabriella's bedroom, their daughter. Mm. Uh, she didn't show me their bedroom. She then, um, with France, took me to the archives. Isn't it? Uh, I find that so significant, you uh, know, absolutely. as if their marriage bed, in a sense, was compromised, but that she nonetheless gave him the, that root and anchor that he needed, even in bearing him a child absolutely. and seeing him grandchildren. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the other things she said, which I also thought was very significant in how he reclaimed his own life, that he spoke so openly about his Holocaust experiences. And yet in talking to her, she said for the first three weeks after they uh, met, he spoke about his, his experiences. And they were in his apartment and he spoke about his experiences for three weeks. And then he said, that's it. We will never uh, discuss it in this area again. Oh, and I wonder if that perhaps was not the bedroom. So that was a bedroom where nothing, where the Holocaust was never discussed. So she didn't take you in there either, you know. And she said that he kept to that. And she said, and so the Holocaust in their own private lives was not part of their life. They laughed a lot. They had a lot of fun exactly. together. Exactly. And you know, Sue, what you say now, wow, this is a wonderful conversation, strikes another truth home to me. 
You know, my doctorate was based on the, the interview of, with Holocaust survivors at Charita Plata in Johannesburg. And this was so typical of them. You know that they shut off their Holocaust experience. They buried it. And, you know, almost defiantly, despite it, put great accent on what was good and fun and loving and wonderful in this world. Um, and, you know, it took me two years to, to really get to some of their stories because they, like one of the survivors say, to open it up, to open up those, those boxed in horrific memories and brought it all back. And, and it took her days after each interview to get over it. So I understand that now also in terms of what you've said about Frankel, just shutting it off from their marriage and the meaningfulness and the fun and the love and the laughter uh, that that marriage brought him. And the mountaineering. I mean, she never thought she would ever go mountaineering, but he got her up there. The other interesting thing that I, I heard about him what I didn't realize that he was very, I knew he was musical because one of the, he went into the cathedral to listen to that beautiful choral music that he heard when he was trying to make the decision whether to stay in Vienna with his parents or immigrate, do you remember, with Tilly to, to America. And he heard that music which, which stirred his soul. Um, and yet it was that tablet, that short tablet of the Ten Commandments that his father had found in that burnt-out synagogue that actually made him decide to stay, honour thy father and thy mother. But apparently he was himself very musical. On the, on the mountains, he liked to play the guitar. And he also, was there a piano in the house that you saw because he enjoyed playing the piano? Indeed, um, there was. But uh, Sue, you touched on another very important thing. And this is what Elizabeth Lucas said that logotherapy is about, to actually um, make you hear the music of your heart. Mm -hmm. And that, that um, incident that you described, um, that he went into the cathedral, he couldn't, that music did not comfort him. Um, he had to hear the music of the Torah. And it was a piece of marble from the Ten Commandments, the fifth one, you know, with a numerical letter like we do um, to, to signify which of the commandments it is. And that was the numerical, uh, the number five that he saw. And he asked his father, well, what does it stand for? And when his father then answered, honor your father and your mother that you may live long in the land. And that is what made him uh, decide to sit to stay. Not the music in the cathedral. He couldn't get an answer there. He got an answer in the Jewish roots of his soul. Isn't that beautiful? So when he took, when she took you into his study, I believe there's a little alcove there which has got his, um, I think his, perhaps his, uh, his uh, tefillin. And, um, did you see that at all? Did you see the little alcove? Yes, I did. And, you know, um, uh, another one of his assistants that accompanied him for 20 years, uh, Jay Levinson. We met uh, him in South Africa. Do you remember? We all went yes. away to the bush. 
I invited him to come and visit you students, you yes. and Rosemary Henrian. Yeah, indeed. And then we went to the bush, all of us. That's right. <laughs> well, DC told me personally some of the things that um, that uh, that is kind of hidden from public view. And this was the tefillin that, in fact, um, he made his own. And he kept it very secret. He didn't want it to be known. It was his private monologue with God. Um, a soliloquy, rather. Uh, like he said, when you're absolutely with yourself, then you are closest to your creator. And this is what prompted him to make his own tefillin. You know, not to step out into the world as an obvious Jew. I mean, there he was married to a Catholic woman. Uh, her Catholicism, I believe, was still holding on to some form of identity on, on the part of Ellie. It wasn't, it, you know, there are many kind of rifts and hurts in, and uh, difficulties in our lives that never cease. But we live despite it, and that's the triumph, you know, to Absolutely. turn a hurt into something that serves you. But um, that, in fact, um, was uh, uh, Frankel's private, very private communion with his creator as a Jew. Hmm. Do you know that when he was dying, he told Ellie to live her life now, not logotherapy's life? And she said that what she well, after he passed away, she kept getting these letters that kept her coming every single day and needed to be answered, and she had to read them. And she said she'd never thought of him as, as a great man. Their love knew no boundaries of religion or culture, or they just had a great love for one another. And she said these letters kept coming. And he was to her simply the man she loved until she read all these letters that came after his, his death. And these letters opened his, her eyes to his greatness. Yes. In fact, in the museum itself, um, there is reference exactly to what you are saying now. And a quote of Ellie to say that, that it was just, they were just two human beings seeing each other in their uniqueness. Mm -hmm. And to me, you know, the, the meaning of um, the intermarriage was really this. Could Frankel have had such a profound influence on the non-Jewish world as he did have in crossing those boundaries, which just said love just sees the uniqueness of another? You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't prescribe. Mm -hmm. You've got to be like this or that or that. And he saw he, her uniqueness and she saw his. And that was the bond of love that developed between them. But that opened the door to, to especially Christians, but to the whosoever. I mean, Absolutely. I have Muslim students in Istanbul. Do you know how they thrill to the truths of Frankel? I mean, really, Muslims venerating a Jew. Isn't that wonderful? Absolutely. It's quite amazing, actually. And, uh, you know, it just shows us the gift that he, he brought to us. And when she said that she every now and again had to say to him, change this, not everyone's going to understand what you're saying here. You know, perhaps that was also her gift of, of, of allowing everyone to understand what he was saying, not just the Jewish world. 
And, well, uh, yeah. and you and I as converts would understand that because I think in many ways we have also come to understand so much of both worlds, which has been a gift to you and I. Indeed, it brings us down. Well, that is why logotherapy to me is so, so profoundly powerful because it's a science of human existence, a science, the, uh, the proof of which, the facts of which apply to the whosoever. Absolutely. It's true for everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, male or female, uh, whatever your sexual orientation or wherever you are in whichever circumstances those truths work and that is the power of logotherapy and i think this was her role like you say make it real say it in ordinary language in the you know like franco keep on referring to the man in the street that intuitively knows all the truths that he was intellectually putting there because he had to make his imprint in the academic world as well. Mm. Um, and he was very keen to do that, especially in terms of research to prove uh, the, the validity of the, 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 the theory that, uh, that logotherapy put before the world. And in fact, he did. The wow. research on logotherapy is astounding. And especially more so now, I mean, I've noticed that everybody, you know, every religion seems to be quoting him. Every every politician lately is quoting him. It's quite amazing. Uh, in many ways, he's almost become like a Martin Luther King Jr., you know, to this generation of looking for meaning. And okay. it reminds me of his quote, for the world is in a bad state, but everything will become still worse unless each of us does his best exactly exactly this is really uh, there's a, a question that's just come through could mm -hmm. you please ask dr chantel um if if uh, ellie has still got uh, her is her mind still clear what about her eyesight and how is she physically she's physically well but um under great care of uh, her daughter and and Franz Vesely. Um, he was very particular about how long I could spend with uh, her. Mm -hmm. um, so she's obviously not the person that she was a few years ago. And yes, there are signs of um, uh, deterioration in terms of her memory. But ninety six. We'll get back Seven. to that shortly. Yeah, no, ninety seven. Wow. Yes. Exactly, but her spirit is still there. Her spirit well, is all over the place. The defiant power of the human spirit, and we'll get back to that shortly. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Dr. Taria Chantel, and we're going to be listening to just a few very short YouTube clips of Ellie Frankel talking. You know, I worked uh, at the dental department and we have had an operation and we needed a bed for this uh, patient. And, and uh, my, my boss told me, uh, go to, to Dr. Frankel, maybe he's, he lends us a bed for a few days. So I went down and stopped him, very friendly, asked, uh, dear professor, could you kindly lend us a bed for three or four days? 
And he was looking in front of me, looked me up and gave no answer. And I thought, my goodness, first psychiatrist I met, a crazy man. And after a while, he started, of course you can have the bed. I turned around, went to my boss, and he was happy. And, and for me, the story was over, everything was over. I didn't know that he was falling in love immediately. So a few days later, I met him again. And he told me, oh, he has pains in the teeth. And, and he never goes to, 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 to a doctor. I should make a, a lasso and pick him up and bring him to, to, to the dentist. I was a young girl, full of fun. I made a lasso, went to his office, showed him the lasso, and we went up to our dental department. And before we entered the room, he told me, frankly speaking, I have no teeth, I have no pains in my teeth, I have, I have no, 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 no fear before a dentist, I only wish to, to, to see you again. And so it started. Sometimes like a, a boy. And we have had so much fun. We were laughing, that you cannot imagine. And, and, and he taught me so many things. Uh, imagine uh, such a high educated man lives together with an absolutely uneducated woman. Such a life, such a happy life. It's in a way unbelievable, but it happened. I have been privileged to be next to him and, and to experience this man from the closest way. And uh, having watched this, was unique. He forgot, forgot himself and he was open in, to everyone in need. And uh, I think each one of us had the opportunity to, to, to go that way. But Victor, whatever he has written, he has lived. And uh, you see now I'm an old woman I only have one wish, to die like Victor died, because he lived up to his last moment, was he tried to bring to the people in the, in the world. And this was unique in my eyes. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on High FM, and I'm back with Dr. Terea Chantal. Before we actually go on, I want to thank you, Craig and Wussy, for keeping us on air. Terea, what did you think about the short YouTubes? Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, and it just brought up 
uh, out what he really meant to all of us, you know, just to be ourselves and to, like he said, you are most yourself when you are reaching out to people to love and encounter in the world and good causes to serve. I mean, this is it. Um, this gives our lives, like he said, the meaning of meaning is to set the pace of being. If we've got these wonderful things to live for, um, our life is an adventure. And, you know, we have that kind of strength to be real. Also in the face of things that are so disturbing and anxiety provoking in our world. Um, I just no. Mention um, where she also said, where she referred to how she would like to die. One of the things that I saw in the museum is a video I've never seen before. And that was uh, where he was interviewed by someone at the the Jewish cemetery, uh, where there was a gravestone in memory of the Frankel family who perished in the various concentration camps. And the interviewer asked him, are you afraid of dying? And he answered, he said, no. If you have done what you were called to do, like I did, you've got no fear of dying. You might have fear when you have not done it. Isn't wow. that wonderful? Unbelievable. So in other words, we all have a mission and a task to complete. And if we have completed that, we have the freedom to die with with more ease. Exactly. Uh, huh. You know, the first morning that I was at his uh, lecture at, at this particular university and, and her, saw him for the first time face to face, uh, he challenged us as students. He said, if you had the opportunity to one day go to your own gravestone, what would be written there? And he said, would it be, oh dear, here lies so-and-so, so overcome by worries and problems and anxieties and fears that she never really lived. But he said, it's better than coming to a gravestone of somebody that you say, oi vai, here lies a most horrible person that did so much harm and damage in the lives of others. And the inscription at the bottom would say, may he never live again. Oh my. Wow. <laughs> and then wow. he encouraged us to come to the third gravestone, which says, echo homo. Huh. Behold this man, behold this woman, what influence they had on the world. The world is a better place because of them. And the inscription at the bottom, may they live for." ever isn't that beautiful good heavens wow now you know that actually leads us on to something that we we don't have much time to discuss but i want to start on it anyway and that is this the pandemic and the war in ukraine and and the craziness and the, the divisions around the world has challenged us to rethink our meaning and our purpose to question life and ourselves. And I know that you actually uh, did a, a short YouTube on that lately. You were asked to do it. Tell, us, tell me a bit about that, please. I think it was Hope Without Borders was your this, the heading of your talk. Yes, but a more exciting experience happened last night with my uh, Muslim students. 
um, in my Zoom teaching uh, of them. To Istanbul. Yes, where they were, uh, they were wanted me to speak on the existential vacuum, mm -hmm. on this lack of meaning that leads to all of this aggression and violence and into all the addictions in sex and alcohol and drugs and into those depressive moods of, oy vey, we live in such a terrible world, you know, stop the world, I want to get off. And I said, you know what? Viktor Frankl said that suffering is a rigor, rigor mortis. It's, a, it's to prevent us from a psychic death. It's a wake-up call. You know, like he said, suffering makes us aware of what ought not to be. And I said, actually, I'm very optimistic about this age. And the afflictions, and we're going to suffer more pandemics and more afflictions. Why? Because what was, was a triumph in the Holocaust, when, you know, it's described in Jeremiah, a day of trouble like this nation has never known, nor will ever know again. You know, the defined power of this human spirit that, that, that made itself manifest in the Holocaust is what is aflame right now. We must see it. Um, when, you know, we're, one going of to, we're going to get back to that powerful oh. thought in a minute. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. And I'm back with Dr. Terea Chantal, and our time is running out. I see a message did come through, and it said, look up the Rebbe and Viktor Frankl. Uh, that was very interesting. Terea, we are already being told to start wrapping up. But just tell you told your Istanbul students about the defiant that you believe that the Holocaust really brought out that defiant power of the human spirit. And right now, that's what we're being challenged with. And that's what you're seeing. Tell me why you feel that. Well, you know, um, I'll end up, I think that's the best um, summary of um, what I'm trying to say, that our prophet Daniel was given a vision of all the tyrannical um, uh, uh, regimes uh, up to our times. Um, but the one, the head of gold, uh, and then the, the, uh, the, uh, the chest of silver, and then the hips of bronze and the legs of iron, it's, it's a an, an, um, metal that becomes less and less uh, precious. And it ends with the feet of iron and clay. And why would the Holocaust not happen again? I challenged the students last night. I said, there will never be another Hitler. What we see now, it is actually because good is arising in the world, because um, this flame of the defiant power of the human spirit, even though it's not so clearly seen because the forces that are arrayed against it are, are desperate. Look, it, look at all the little terrorist cells, you know, they can't hold together. Then this tyrant falls and then the next one comes. They can't hold together because the stone, it, as it is described in Zechariah, that will break the feet of iron and clay. The stone of truth of, you know, what we um, are meant to be as human beings and that we are challenged to become will be the defeat of evil. It's like dark and light, a darkness and light. 
when the light begins to rise, the darkness simply has to recede. It's got no power against the light. Isn't okay. that a beautiful way to end? I actually just want to give out a bit of um, about the uh, Victor Frankl Institute of Logotherapy. You can call on 079-370-7702. You can speak to Pam or admin at vfisa or small.co.za. You know, uh, on a humorous note, because Viktor Frankl did say, and as, as Eddie said, they did actually laugh so much. And I think this is something we need to remember. He said the attempt to develop a sense of humor and to see things in a humorous light is some kind of trick learned while mastering the art of living. Well, it's more... And, yeah, yes. and in fact, the power of humor is described in Psalm 2, that why do the nations rage and imagine vain things, you know? God has put his king on the Mount Zion and he sits in the heavens and laughs because he sees <laughs> their day coming. And this is the technique we use in a logotherapy of paradoxical intention. Face your fears and challenge them and, you know, be done with them through, uh, through actually ridiculing and laughing at them and take your space and live it courageously. Thank you so much, Dr. Turia Chantel, for being with me. It always goes so quickly but your wisdom comes across so powerfully and your truth comes across with it. And, you know, just to end on a, on a light note by Churchill, Churchill said, war does not determine who is right, only who is left. <laughs> so let's, let us all be sure that we are left to bring changes to this world in whatever way we can. Thank you so much. We're going to be ending with a song by Shulam called Face the Unknown. It will not come through on the podcast, but it will, um, it will be played now. And if you would like to hear more from Dr. Taria Chantel, please look her up on YouTube and you'll find many of her YouTubes there, which are, it's a YouTube series and they are fantastic. Thank you, Craig. And thank you again, Taria. Thank you, Sue, and thank you for the listeners as well.